welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 15, Dyson. Listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast waystation for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie, and Annie isn't with us today. She had some internet problems and wasn't able to join us. So, filling in for sort of a co host is Chris, who is Chris Jen on Twitter. She's been on the show several times, and I literally gave her about five minutes warning. So, thank you, Chris, for being here. You're welcome. And today we are going to discuss Dyson, our resident wolf shifter and current piner for Bo's affections. I think Lauren was the main piner in seasons one and two, but now it's Dyson's turn. And our guest contributor today is Judith. So thank you for joining us, Judith. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. So finding a drink special for Dyson was actually really difficult, and I don't know if I came up with the best solution. There are actually lots of cocktails with wolf in the name. For example, there's a black wolf and a howlin' wolf and a wolf bite, but none of them are drinks that Dyson would drink. Uh, When I pick drinks, I try to find ones that aren't just thematic name-wise, but I want them to actually be drinks. I could see the character drinking or, you know, they kind of represent the character itself. And so... The wolf cocktails that I found were all really fruity, and that's not Dyson at all. We've seen him drink beer and whiskey, period. I think that's it. The closest one that I could find with wolf in the name was actually a drink called a werewolf. And I know, please stop screaming at your iPod. Your coworkers are looking at you funny. Dyson is not a werewolf. I know. He is a shifter. He doesn't turn into a wolf when the moon is full. So I'm changing the drink a little bit. Uh, A werewolf is equal parts bourbon or whiskey. And Drambuie, which is a liqueur made with scotch and honey and herbs. So the drink special I came up for Dyson is something I'm calling not a werewolf, which is equal parts whiskey, the Scottish kind if you want to be really Dyson-y, and Celtic honey, which is a liqueur very similar to Drambuie, but it's made with Irish whiskey instead of scotch. It's a little harder to find than Drambuie, but Dyson is a Celtic wolf, so I thought it would be more appropriate. Dyson is the romantic lead of the show, and I've seen and heard him described as an alpha male by several people. And while he definitely has an alpha male persona in many ways, his portrayal and his storyline also deviates from the stereotypical alpha male. First of all, I think of if we think of Dyson as a wolf and consider him in the context of pack behavior, I don't know that he would be the alpha wolf. He's not in charge most of the time. He defers to the Ash, he defers to Bo, he defers to Trick, and when he does try to be more... T- take charge, often things do not go well. For example, at the end of season two, when he comes back from the wolf spirit and says that he's the one that's supposed to lead them into battle, he was wrong. Things went pretty badly. But whatever is or isn't left between us, I don't want you facing evil without me. I know. But I have enough to deal with as it is. And I can't have people on my team that I don't completely trust. There's nothing I can say to make you change your mind. You have to let me fight my own battles. Do that, and when the smoke clears, we'll see where we stand. I think in terms of, like, romance tropes, um, the alpha male as opposed to just alpha wolf, one of the things that you see very commonly is that the alpha male is very controlling of the women in his life, that it's very much about... I'm going to tell you what you can or can't do because I'm protecting you or I'm going to withhold information from you in order to protect you. And I think in the beginning they did a lot of that, but as the seasons have gone on, he has, I don't know, maybe he has grown to respect Bo more as a powerful figure in her own right and has spent less time trying to dictate to her or manipulate her into doing things that he feels are safe or appropriate. But I do think that, in the beginning at least, they were moving more towards that direction. Of course, in the first season, too, I mean, a lot of that is actually dictated by Trick, the secretiveness and all that sort of thing. You see Dyson arguing with Trick, oh, we need to tell Bo, when are we going to tell her? I don't feel comfortable about this. He does that, but you also see, in the very beginning, he's constantly telling her, don't get involved in Faye business, go go live your life. That was a big theme in season one. And in season two, 
she has he's backed off on that a little bit and then it's more of he only gets involved when he thinks she's really in over her head her day-to-day fave investigation business he seems to be okay with at that point and has kind of accepted the fact that she's constantly getting in trouble she's constantly getting in fights and it no longer even phases him right but we definitely have in season three in episode 309, the ceremony where he he does the stereotypical kind of alpha male thing where he keeps information from Bo, doesn't tell her that by entering the dawning he won't come out and sort of volunteers his hand for her own good. So he, he definitely still has those tendencies, but we also do see in season three him coming to her a lot more to help with cases and things like that. So yeah, I think he has definitely come to accept that she's going to be involved in Faye business in these ways that he wasn't totally comfortable with in the first season. I think so. I would definitely agree with that. And I think one of the other things that you often see with the the whole alpha male romance trope is that they tend to be very physically centered. They tend to be very solve their problems with their fist and intimidation. And while you do see a little bit of that with Dyson, one of the things that I I think is a really interesting choice and maybe it's just a budgetary choice but is that you don't actually see him in his wolf mode a lot most of the time he is going about his business doing the things that he's doing and he's using his head more than he's using his physicality I think particularly in all of the investigative scenes that you see him doing yeah he definitely does not use his aggression, his physicality, as much as he certainly could. He he does from time to time, definitely. I think that's a, a big part of him as a as a person, because he his identity is very wrapped up around him as a wolf, and a wolf is a very physically powerful animal. But he certainly does not use his his physicality as much as nearly as much as he could. Another side to the physical nature of the alpha male is that he's physical, he's not emotional. You know, alpha males generally don't talk about their feelings all that much. And certainly, Dyson isn't as open as other characters on the show. But I think he is more in touch with his emotions, more emotionally aware than the typical alpha male is generally portrayed. I would say, I would agree with that because... I mean, you see him struggle, particularly in season two, you see him struggle with the lack of a, of a love and the lack of his emotion, particularly towards Kiara. The whole Kiara scenes, you know, where she's basically begging him to tell her what, what is wrong in this relationship, or, uh, and he refuses to, to even talk about it. In some ways, I think that is a little bit typical, but then you also see things like the relationship that he has with Kenzie, where, you know, he starts off and she's just this person that hangs around Bo, but I really love how they've developed the relationships between the two of them, and he really starts to see her more as a person and starts to care about her, which, of course, you know, you really do see in the Kenzie scale. Yes, definitely. I, well, first, let me let me go back and talk about his his storyline in season two, I thought it it was really interesting to me that what really seems to motivate Dyson seems to be love. And it's not uncommon for the male hero to have, to be motivated because of a relationship he had with a female. Usually the female was dead or injured or something like that. And that's his primary motivator for going and killing the bad guys. You often see that in, in comic books a lot. But I feel like with Dyson, it's a little bit different. He's not motivated out of anger or revenge or something like that. He's motivated out of love. And when he loses that emotional side to him is where we really see him kind of go off the rails. He turns into, honestly, a bit of a jerk in season two. And, and But it's, that's not, yeah, and that's when we see him actually be, I think, the more stereotypical alpha male where he's a lot more angry, a lot more physical, a lot more you know, pushing people away than we see him be in season one or season three. And it's because he's lost that really important part of him, which is an emotional aspect. It's not this this physical aspect. And so I really like that about them, about him, that he, he seems to really be motivated out of love. Kinsey said that when it, he didn't have it, he felt really empty. And I also feel like we see Dyson have several really emotional scenes with not just women, but with his male friends as well. Like he and, and Trick, I think, have a couple of emotional scenes together like when at the end of season one where Aoife has attacked the Fae and he's going off to see the Norn 
he goes and tells Trick his plan, and they have a very emotional kind of, you know, take care of yourself, you too, my friend, kind of moment. And, and he and Hale, when, when Trick wasn't dead, you know, they embraced each other. So I, I like that Dyson has had some emotional moments, not just with Bo, not just with women, which is a little more typical, but also with his male friends as well. And you're talking about season two and getting angry at the loss of love and all that stuff and how that especially eventually started to really affect his relationship with Hale. And, you know, they got all hostile and then there was the situation with Hale's sister and, you know, things got ugly for a while there. And So, I mean, the, the scene that you just mentioned, finding out that Trick isn't dead and all that sort of thing, comes on the heels of all of that. So I think that's relationship is also... Where am I going with this? I don't know. That relationship was also affected by, by Dyson's kind of emotional loss. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a valid point to, that, to say that when he loses his love, it's not just his, his love, it's his entire purpose, it's his reason for being. And he really does do some some really unsavory things during that second season. I mean, the whole flaunting the other relationships that he's trying to have with Bo and not really seeming to care earlier on in the episodes, not even being willing to try to have anything with her, hardly even is able to manage a friendship early on in the season. And then when Kiara comes in, it's a little dicey, the relationship with Kiara, because if the actor had made different choices, it would have made him a really seriously dislikable character. Because while he doesn't know that he can't love anyone, he does know that, even at this point, he is fairly certain, I think, that Bo was his, his one and only, his mate, however you want to rephrase it. And how much of a realistic relationship is he going to be able to have with Kiara when she obviously loves him so much that he can't even be honest with her about what happened with Bo is a bad sign to me. The fact that he plays it as desperately trying to move on and trying to be straight with her but just being unable to kind of get there is what saves it from turning him into a character you just really can't stand. The way that the it was both written and the way Chris Holden Reed plays that storyline is that Dyson is really trying. He's trying to move on. He's not trying to use Kiara, but on the heels of this great loss that he has had, she seems like this great white hope, you know, like, oh, this is somebody I really care about. If if anybody can be can not replace Bo, but if anybody could offer some some hope at a relationship now that I am not able to be with Bo, here's Kiara. And I think he tries to be as open with her as he can. Like I'm I think it's at the end of Can't See the Fairest where Kiara confronts Dyson and basically says, Are you going to love me or not? I don't want to stick around and just be, you know, just kid myself. And the way that he answers her is I think something to the effect of I will give you as much as I can. So I don't I don't think he ever really he tries to be as honest with Kiara as he as he possibly can, but I think you're right. I think he does recognize pretty early on that Bo was his his mate, his his life partner and and Kiara as much as he might care about her is not going to fill that void. And you. Yes. You are weak, pathetic, and you need glasses. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's, that's kind of mean. It's a miracle you survived this long, Kent. You just might be the strongest person I have ever met. But getting back to Dyson and Kenzie, as you mentioned earlier, I think that might actually be my favorite relationship that Dyson has, is his his really caring, kind of almost big brother, little sister relationship that he has with Kenzie. Yeah, I love that relationship too, and not just because it goes against the stereotypes that you normally see. I mean, normally if you have a the romantic female lead's sidekick, you know, is going to possibly have a silly crush on or complete loathing of her love interest. And you do see that a little bit interestingly with Lauren, but I think that uh, the fact that they chose to have their relationship be almost more as equals and be very familial is really a nice touch. I, the scene, I think probably one of my favorite scenes with them is 
when she goes to him after Kiara's funeral and he's beating himself up while he's working out and he opens the door and she just hauls off and slaps him and keeps doing it. That was completely unexpected to me. And the fact that she can read him so well and the fact that he accepts that from her and it just was, I thought was really moving, was really touching. I think a lot of what, to me, makes a relationship so deep was in 209, right, was original skin. You know, the fact that they essentially switched bodies in the giant body switch, and, and of course, I think that gave them that deeper understanding of one another because they have that exchange at the end where, you know, he tells her that she's weak and needs glasses and, you know, is amazing and all that sort of thing, and, and you know, she lets him in on the fact that she knows what his loss of love feels like, something like that. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of, to me, their their rapport comes from that episode. I mean, because a lot of that stuff, uh, I don't know that it would necessarily work had we not had that that exchange. And, and the whole situation of Kenzie trying to help him get his love back, because, again, she knows what that emptiness inside of him feels like. So, so I really like that whole exchange anyway is, is of course, I think for a lot of Kinsey and or Dyson fans is one of their favorites anyway, but I do think it gives them that extra depth to their relationship that essentially knowing what it feels like to be the other one. It's a really wonderful scene. I think both Chris Holden Reed and Ksenia Solo are really good in that, in that moment. And another thing that I really like about Dyson kind of related to his relationship with Kenzie is that he has other relationships with the female characters on the show that aren't romantic in nature, which is often not the case with with romantic leads. They have a very intense romantic relationship with their, their love interest, and that's kind of it. They might have a male buddy or something like that, but they often don't have female buddies. And I think especially in season three, I thought they had were going to set up Tamsin as a potential love interest for Dyson. And in a way, I kind of wish that they had, because I think it would have been interesting to see a light fade, dark fade romance on the show and to see Dyson maybe struggle with that a bit. But instead, I feel like Dyson and Tamsin got to be really, really good buddies over the course of season three. And I really liked the rapport that they developed. Yeah, they really ended up being a great buddy cop pair. I was not expecting that at all when they first introduced her. Of course, she's extremely abrasive when they first introduce her. And it's almost like he's kind of immune to her barbs. And because he doesn't let her get under his skin very much, they seem to develop this friendship that really is very strong by the end. I mean, in the end, when she picks him up after he's um, killed the uh, the guy that was, I can't think of his name, the guy that Taft. was... Taft, thank you. <laughs> you know, it's it's almost just like this, you know, picking up a friend after a beer kind of thing, you know? As he picks Taft's body parts out of his teeth. <laughs> but yeah, when he when he slides into Tamsin's truck, it's like they've been friends for, for decades, you know? It's just this really easy, oh yeah, my buddy's picking me up, this is great. And it's also really interesting that the whole light fade, dark fade thing doesn't come up very often in terms of their friendship. And I think part of that is because he has decided at that point that she's loyal to Bo. And if you're loyal to Bo, that's good enough for him. That seems to really be one of his running threads because in the beginning there's a lot of tension, a lot of tension between he and Lauren. And a lot of it is jealousy in their competitiveness for Bo, the fact that, I think the fact that both of them are hiding things, and both of them know each other are hiding things from Bo, makes them even more suspicious of each other, but the fact that after he loses Bo's love, after she loses Nadia, after he loses Kiara, it's almost like they come to this place of common ground and acceptance of each other, and start to, I could almost see Dyson and Lauren becoming friends. Of course, then we have the whole thing at the end where she ends up running off with the guys who eventually try to kill them all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit of a sticky point. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about Dyson and Lauren's relationship because it was when we talked about Lauren in our Lauren episode, 
the contributor on that episode mentioned that it was kind of murky at the end of season two where Dyson tells Lauren, you know, the ash is gone. It'll take a while for the ash to be replaced. Here's your opportunity to run. And there's kind of this question of, well, was he trying to be nice because she was nice to him after Kiara died? Or is he thinking, I got my love back. If you're gone, pathway to Bo is clear. <laughs> well, I don't think uh, in that situation you can ever truly have a pure motive. But I didn't read that as him being Machiavellian and trying to run her off so that he had a clear pathway to Bo. I really did see that as he was just pointing out because he's a good guy, hey, you know, if running is what you want, now is the time to do it. But I think there's a part of him that was, of course, aware of the fact that if she did leave, that would make things easier for him with Bo. Oh, no, I agree. I, I think it is one of those, it's not, they're not mutually exclusive, you know? Why have one motive? <laughs> <laughs> At least from the way that Chris Holden Reed plays that scene, in my opinion, I feel like Dyson is mainly coming from a friendly place. He's mainly coming from this, I know you want to escape the Fae, here's an opportunity for you to do so. But I think it's very possible that in the back of his mind, even subconsciously, he isn't aware of it. It's partially, hey, I, I got my love back. I'm good to go. <laughs> if you're gone, I, you know, maybe me and Bo can get back together. But we also have some moments, I know, in season three, where some fans were kind of suspicious of Dyson's motives, wondering if he was manipulative of Lauren. And I think especially one of the scenes or one of the episodes where I, I've seen people comment upon this is episode 309, The Ceremony, where we have a scene where Dyson is saying, oh, I'm glad you and Bo are, are in such a good place. But then later in the temple, he grabs her and kisses her and is all, I love you. You know, and, and so I know some people are kind of, you know, a little suspicious about why Dyson made this whole speech to Lauren at that point and, and then kind of acted against those words later on. My interpretation of that is he knows going in that he's not coming out. And I feel like in some ways the speech he gives Lauren is coming from an honest place. I mean, he knows, worst case, that things may not work out between them. She's human, so he doesn't have to rush things. But I think he has come to acknowledge and respect the relationship that they have, and he doesn't necessarily want to cause problems there. But once he's inside the temple, you know, he knows he's not coming out. I think it's more of a, I'm just going to kind of give it one last shot before I, before I die so that she at least knows that I still love her and she understands why I made this choice when she comes out and Trick explains everything. And initially I would have agreed with you, but the thing is, and, and it's one of those things I'm still sort of never quite sure about all of this just because so many arguments could be made in so many directions, and I'm just never really sure which way is the way we're supposed to interpret it. But the thing about this is, I, I mean, I agree that the impulse is, you know, I'm going to say all the stuff I have to say. This is potentially my last chance to say any of it. But then at the end, when he's talking to Bo, he's like, I wasn't worried about it because I knew you would save me. <laughs> And then I get really confused, because what then is your motivation for acting all weird and selfish in the temple if you knew that was going to happen? I just, I don't know. I'm so confused. Yeah, I'm kind of with you, Chris, because in Delinquents, he does tell Bo, oh, I wasn't worried. I knew you would save me. And so that does, it's really contradictory for me, because I feel like in the ceremony, when he does grab her and kiss her, he was certainly acting like a person who expected to not come out, who expected to die. So I'm actually inclined to believe that when he says that, those things to her and delinquents, he's just being nice, you know? <laughs> he was trying to be, trying to be encouraging. I, I, so, but it is confusing, because to me, his actions say one thing, and his words are saying another in a, in a subsequent episode. So then it just becomes a matter of, like, well, what is it that was really going through his head at any given point, because I am just not sure anymore. Right. <laughs> I kind of feel like the, the sentence about how, oh, I wasn't worried, I, I knew you'd save me, was kind of a, you know, she's pretty pissed at him at this point. I think it was really kind of a, almost a joking, throw it out there comment to make her feel better about the fact that 
this choice he made was not really a choice to die when we all know it really was, or at least there was a high probability, since no one's ever actually done that before. So yeah, it, it's, it is kind of confusing, but I'm, I'm with Judith. I feel like he was probably being, being complimentary of her, being kind, trying to build some rapport back with Bo after maybe pissing her off a little bit after not telling her that he had gotten his love back. So, but, but it, it's open to interpretation. Has so many things about the dawning are yes. I will say one one time in season three that I found Dyson's actions a little uh, in a bit of poor taste was in Hail Hail episode three twelve, where Lauren has gone and Bo is really concerned about Lauren and he she brought Dyson over to Lauren's apartment at the beginning of the episode saying you need to help me find Lauren she's missing, and then later at Hale's at Hale's ceremony where he's going to become Ash I forget what the ceremony is called. We have Dyson and and Bo have this very flirty exchange where Dyson's all, oh, that dress under the right man. I thought that was kind of in poor taste. It's like, you know she's upset that her girlfriend is missing. Granted, they're on a break, but, and you're you're flirting with her. That's maybe not in the best taste there, guy. Well, I think sometimes, uh, you know, people get a little overwhelmed. <laughs> and that they, they often portray Bo as being so... I don't know what the right phrase would be, so attractive that she overwhelms people. So I, I have to think that occasionally that's going to happen to him as well, particularly since he's in love with her to begin with. So yes, it could have been definitely poor taste, but at the same time, everybody says things that they don't think through sometimes. <laughs> it's true, but I, I'm still going to call him out on that one. <laughs> since we're kind of talking about Lauren a little bit, I think it's interesting to think of sort of how Dyson's storylines have panned out versus Lauren's because Dyson's storylines have really been completely tied to Bo and his relationship and his feelings toward Bo. And that is not the case with Lauren. She's gotten other storylines like her, her servitude to the light Fay and what happened in her relationship with the Ash. And now in season three, sort of trying to leave the Fae and go with Taft. She's had storylines that were completely independent of Bo. And that's very unusual that a female character would get these independent storylines and a male character wouldn't. And so I think that is another way in which he is not quite the typical alpha male. His his storylines are very tied to his feelings and his relationship with Bo. I would agree with that. And I also feel like they haven't really given us very much much backstory on Dyson. I mean, we know what he's like with Bo. And we know, I kind of almost felt like the only reason we got any backstory at all on him is because they had to have a reason to introduce Kiara. Whereas Lauren has, you you learned so much about her, and yet she's constantly still a mystery. You've got the whole, you know, the time spent in Africa, the Nadia, the whole interactions with how the Ash tricked her the first time and the second time. The fact that even now that Hale has become the Ash, she's still feels very much like she's underneath the thumb of the ash. And now we've got this whole new thing that they've introduced where she's a fugitive, which they're going to have to resolve at some point. (laughs) Looking forward to how they're going to do that. But there's so much to her backstory that, that we've picked up on. And really, do we know anything about Dyson other than the fact that he served a bunch of kings, he was a warrior at one point, and he was friends with Kiara's husband? Yeah, I mentioned in the Lauren episode that she's one of the few characters who we haven't met a family for and met family member for, and the, and Dyson is the other one who we haven't really we don't know anything about his family. I I actually would really love to meet one of Dyson's family members at some point. He's he's mentioned that he comes from a family of shifters, but beyond that, we really don't know anything about his family life, where he came from, if he's still in contact with his family. Obviously, he's very old, so it may be that he doesn't have contact with his family anymore, but I'd love to see an episode where he interacts with a family member in particular. There's so much opportunity, and hopefully the show will go on for years and years and years, and so we will have time to explore all of these characters' backstories. But I think there really is a lot of opportunity there, because they've really spent a lot of time fleshing Lauren out. And if you look at, you know, if you just look at their storylines and compare them to each other and to Bo, they've really very much set up Lauren as the romantic lead and the romantic partner of Bo in that she gets a lot more development, I feel like, than Dyson does. Dyson gets development with the characters that are 
immediately there, uh, his relationships with Kenzie and with Hale and with Trick, but you don't get a lot of backstory on him and you don't get a lot of understanding of what his real place is in the hierarchy of the local Fae either. You see him as a soldier of the ash, you know that people consider him to be very strong and very well respected, but we don't really know why. We don't know what it is that he's done in the past that, that caused people to respect him so much. I remember watching an interview with Chris Holden Reed and Anna Silk at, I believe, the first fan expo that they attended, which I believe would have been in 2010, maybe? 2011? And when asked about sort of who Dyson was as a character, Chris Holden Reed described him as being very involved in sort of the military part of the Fae, and he's kind of been off the grid for several years, but he's kind of resurfaced because a king he used to serve has become more prominent. And watching that, having seen the show, you know, at that time the show hadn't aired yet, but watching that interview and having seen the show, I'm thinking, oh, is the king he's talking about Trick? And I wouldn't necessarily have thought about that being his backstory, being sort of involved in the military arm of the Fae. So I would love to know, I think, I, and we mentioned this in the Trick episode as well, I'd love to know his backstory with Trick. And, and I think probably... Trick was one of the kings that he served, and how did he and Trick sort of hook up again? Because it, it sounds like from what Chris Holden Reed has says that maybe they were out of touch for several years. Well, and it's interesting to me that when they did the flashbacks with Trick about during the, the final war that he ended with his blood, they you don't see Dyson, you don't see any characters that we know at all. So that kind of gives you the impression to begin with that Trick is significantly older than Dyson and the, pretty much everyone else, but also the fact that I kind of got the impression from that episode that once he used his blood and once he divided the Fae and ended the Great War and all of this kind of stuff, it wasn't too long after that that he gave up the crown. So at what point did he have an opportunity to really interact with Dyson in a, in a kingly manner? I think that's going to be, when they finally get around to telling that story, that's going to be very interesting because I would almost have to think that how did, how did Dyson even know that Trick was the king if he didn't serve him when he was actually in power? Well, I had always kind of thought that Dyson served Trick while he was the Blood King. What do you think, Chris? I, as with so many things that are backstory on the show, I just don't know. I, I'm very, <laughs> very curious and, I mean, I, I guess I would have assumed that he did serve him when he was the Blood King, since he knew he was the Blood King. And, uh, you know, like you said, Judith, I I also assumed that Trick would have given up the his kingship shortly after, you know, writing the laws and all that stuff. I mean, everything they've said sort of indicates that that's the case to me, but I just don't know. Well, as from interviews that I've seen recently, it sounds like in season four, we might get some more information on Dyson and Trick's backstory. So I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully that will explain a little bit anyway. You. Never got a chance to thank you for coming back for me. Mm. Don't know how you did it. I improvised. Broke the heel of my favorite boots. So I think another way that... Dyson differentiates himself from other alpha male characters is that he gets rescued by women a lot. Even weak, pathetic Kenzie. Even weak, pathetic Kenzie rescues Dyson. And that was an awesome scene, I have to say. <laughs> With the chainsaw? Well, actually, both of the times that she rescues him, because there's actually twice. Uh, right. The first, because when they, they fight the Garuda the first time, and he stays behind to hold off all of the minions and uh, everyone tries to get Bo out of the place, and Kinsey slips off to go back and pull him out, which is interesting because they don't really they don't really get into a lot of detail on exactly how she pulled that off. She said she hid and found him later, but that implies that he must have taken out everybody that was there, uh, or else they would not have left him alive. But you're right, he does get rescued quite often, um, even in the the very first season when um, Bo's mother, uh, Afa attacks him. She res Bo rescues him at that point. So there's quite a bit of that. Yeah, Bo, I believe, has brought him back to life twice now, once in season one and then again in season three. 
And I like the fact that even though he gets rescued, he doesn't whine about it. It doesn't seem to phase him. doesn't hurt his male pride at all. And he's also still a strong character that rescues them probably just as often. So it's, it's almost an equal sharing of everybody rescuing everybody else in this terribly dangerous world they live in. And I think that something that we've something we've discussed before about being interesting about Dyson and kind of contrary to this alpha male persona that he might have to a certain extent is that he's not shown being the sexual aggressor all the time. We mentioned this in our episode about sexuality. We see particularly with Kiara that he is is not the the sexual aggressor in in one scene in particular, but I think also with Bo he's often shown to be the bottom, the quote-unquote bottom of, of that relationship, uh, or at least willing to, to be in that role some of the time. I would agree, and I also think that it's it's interesting because, generally speaking, in when you have a, a male romantic lead, they don't spend a lot of time making sure that the woman's really interested, you know, like actually asking, do you, do you want to do this? It's, there's this, this assumption that's there. And I think that they kind of make a point to play with consent a little bit more in the show because usually the male characters are the ones who are pushing the female characters to have sex or, you know, just going off of body language and not asking, actually outright asking. But in this show, it's really the women that are doing that more often than the men. And he makes a point to to talk to her about how he feels about her just using him. Interestingly enough, in the, in the Vex episode particularly, I understand that that was the original pilot, so it explains why the tone is a little off when you watch the whole first season. But he tells her, like, two episodes earlier, anytime you need to heal, but that's all it can be because of his relationships with Trick. But she really takes him up on that to the point where, you know, they show him barely able to function during the day because she's coming to him practically every day. So, and to the point where he starts pushing back about, hey, you know, I need a little space here. I need you to stop doing this. So it's interesting that you don't usually see the male character being the character who's saying, this, this physical-only relationship is just not working for me. Something else that I think it's in, that's interesting in the way the writers have pursued Dyson's storyline was that it's clear to me that what happened at the end of season two, at the end of Dismembers Only, is that Aoife sexually assaulted Dyson. It's very clear to me that that is what happened. And while there are some metaphorical sexual assaults against women on the show, and there's definitely some references to women being at risk to sexual assault, we've only ever seen a male character be sexually assaulted on the show, like actually sexually assaulted. And so that's very interesting to me that that is part of his storyline on the show is having, having been sexually assaulted by a woman, because that's not something you see a lot at all, period. Yeah, it is pretty rare. And I was, I was very shocked more so and, and a little disappointed, I have to say, by the way it was handled in the aftermath, because I don't really feel like they truly addressed the fact that he was assaulted in in a different way. I mean, it's one thing for a warrior to be attacked physically, but I think usually being attacked sexually is very different. And it has a very different connotation. It has a very different recovery and a lot of different baggage, I guess you would say. And I didn't really feel like they addressed that in the show. I felt like Bo's response, you know, when after she brought him back, when they had the next scene and he was waking up after being unconscious, or you see the two of them uh, laying in her bed talking, he apologizes to her, and her response was, oh, it's okay, I know you couldn't help it. It's almost like she doesn't even acknowledge that it was an assault, that it was more of a, oh, I'm, I don't blame you for cheating on me, was kind of the vibe I got there. And I, I didn't really like that, because I really would have... Since they made the bold decision to do it, I really would have liked to have seen them try to resolve it in a better way. It is disappointing. I'm disappointed with how they they handled it. Though I would say that Bo's reaction isn't necessarily what I'm most disappointed with just because she doesn't see how the scene begins. She only really sees how it ends. And I think at that point, 
Bo was still pretty naive. She had never met another succubus before. And it would be, because Bo was idealistic, she would probably project that Aoife was like her and only had sex with consenting partners. Because from what we know from Bo, the people she had sex with were probably pretty into it. So I don't know that she, because she didn't see at the beginning where Dyson was clearly attacked. And so she kind of comes in at the end and just sees Dyson being killed. So I wasn't so much disappointed with Bo's reaction. I thought that it was maybe a fair reaction given what we saw her see of the interaction. But I do think that Dyson's sort of the emotional fallout for Dyson from that incident was not, was pretty much swept under the rug and it was kind of ignored. And I wish that it hadn't been. Well, I guess one way that we could interpret it is the fact that almost immediately after that, he goes to the Norn and he loses his love and he ends up in this world of pain because of that. Because she tells him that, you know, I'm going to take your love from you. You'll never feel anything for her again, but I'm going to leave with you the knowledge of what you lost. So I'm assuming that she's she's left him with some kind of an echo of the pain of having a broken heart of dealing with Bo which was always my interpretation for why he just flat out told her he couldn't have any, couldn't even try in the beginning of season two. But the fact that he then just kind of sinks into this, this kind of rage state throughout the, this second season that they may have felt like that played into that kind of superseded what happened with Eva and that maybe uh, all of that was part of the rage that he had during that second season. But they still, even if that is the case, you would think that once he got his love back, that he would still you know, be trying to process some of that. But they never show that. It's like once he gets his love back, he's happy and fluffy again. I did consider that because he is very angry in going through a process of, I think Chris called it grief, and I think that's a good metaphor for it in season two. And some of that emotion could have been about what happened to him from uh, in regards to the salt from a- from Aoife could have been rolled up into that. But it, it wasn't clear in the writing from that, that that's what was going on. It's just something I'm kind of inferring. So I wish it were more clear from how it had been written, the emotional fallout that Dyson might have had from being sexually assaulted. I'd be curious to ask Hol- uh, Chris Holden Reed, though, if he if that's his interpretation of the scene, if he if he considers that to be an sexual assault on Dyson or if he hadn't even thought about it that way. It's one of those. If you look at some of the organizations that assist rape survivors, there's actually a very high rate of male rapes. But people don't generally are not generally aware of that. And there's almost this stigma that's even worse for men than for women about this concept that men can't be raped by women, just like they can't be abused by women. So I'm wondering if if there's a little bit of that, too, because, I mean, he's a thousand years old. And you would have to assume that even though he has managed to kind of modernize to a certain extent, that there must still be some of the baggage from having been raised and lived through the time periods that he did of is that really is he even acknowledging it at all and I'm going to go ahead and bring up comic books again because I apparently can't not do it and I'm sorry but (laughs) there's actually a a storyline in Nightwing and I, I don't remember when this was it seems like it was about 10 years ago there was a storyline where Nightwing is sexually assaulted and uh, I was on the comic book message boards at the time, and there were some very, very strange reactions to the storyline. And I, it was just really strange to see. And a lot of people were basically sort of denying that that's what had happened. But, I mean, reading it, that was very clearly what happened. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff just socially about this that is very strange to me. Yeah, that that people just sort of don't don't seem to want to acknowledge it. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely this idea out there that men cannot be sexually assaulted by women. So, it is quite possible that in Dyson's mind that just can't happen to him, you know, that that's not what happened in that moment because men can't be raped by women. So, I think that's a good point too that that he might not think of it that way because of these ideas regarding regarding rape and what rape actually is. And I suppose to a certain extent, the fact that he is not human, he is fae, so he's more accustomed to all of these different 
the way that they feed on humans and can attack humans or each other if needed other than just in a physical way that he may have seen what happened strictly as just a normal attack and not as you know something different or a, a sexual kind of rape attack that's true he may just see it that's that's what a succubus attack looks like period like if i if i had been attacked by a or i'm trying to think of a good example if he'd been attacked by a, by the Dijian, the Dijian would have bit him. That's a Dijian attack. And when Apha attacked him, that was a succubus attack. So he doesn't really give it a, a, a sexual assault component. So that's a that's an interesting idea too. But again, this is all speculation. We don't know. They haven't really they haven't really discussed it on the show. So I don't want to share you, Bo. What? I don't want anyone else's hands on your body. I don't want anyone's mouth on yours. And I know this is the last thing you want to hear right now. Why wouldn't I want to hear that? Because you're a succubus, Bo. So we've talked a lot about Dyson and Bo, and particularly sort of the storyline of Dyson losing his love. But let's talk a little more specifically about Dyson and Bo's relationship, which, you know, has had its ups and downs. I'm curious sort of if they were to get back together at some point, what their relationship would look like because he says very clearly early on that her needing to be with other people would be very difficult for him. And it's become clearer and clearer over the seasons that it would be very difficult for Bo to be with just one person. So I do wonder if they got back together, if he could accept that part of her, if that would still be a problem. I don't know. What do y'all think? I think that it's, it's difficult for him to have to share her, but I think we've proven that uh, season three proved it's just as difficult for Lauren. And I, I tend to think that he could get back together with her, but I'm not really sure how well he would be able to handle it because he can't, she can't feed just off him. They've shown that in season one, uh, at least with the, the crazy lifestyle that she leads with constantly being injured. So I think he would have a really difficult time with it, and I would be curious to see how they would resolve that because personally, I, I tend to lean more not towards Team Lauren or Team Dyson. I go to, towards Team both because she's got real feelings for both of these people, and they've kind of established that she can't have a survive being monogamous with just one person. So to me, that would almost be the solution that they would need to get to so that she could have, they would be sharing her with somebody with just one other person, with just one person that she has an actual relationship with, but that there wouldn't be a threat to the relationship that they got established on their side. I don't know. So much has happened at this point. I'm not sure what his reaction necessarily would be should they ever attempt a relationship again. You know, it's one of those, I don't know, having to now have lived without his love for her, and without her, now that he has his love back, you know, one wonders how that would influence your attitude about the whole thing. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Right. Now that he has a different perspective a couple of years on, and I, and as we've mentioned, I think his relationship and how he acts towards Bo has changed over the past couple of years. Would he be able to come at that particular situation with from a different perspective? Would he rather be with Bo and have Bo, even if he does have to share her because of certain biological needs she might have, or even emotional needs she might have? And thinking about season three, after he gets his love back, and after he makes the decision not to actively attempt to interfere with her relationship with Lauren, he does kind of sit on the sidelines and make himself available when she needs him. I mean, there is that, that scene, I can't remember what episode it's in, but there is a scene where she comes in and she's been trying not to eat. She's been weakening herself and he convinces her to have sex with him in the back room at the police station. I have to say that police station gets a lot of action. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, but it's very much a, Hey, I know you're with Laura and this isn't emotional. This is just about you needing to heal, but it's very obvious to all of us watching that it's very much about the emotion for him. So it could be that you know, Chris, that your point about having lived without her and now having his love back and having that, that he would be able to adapt to it. Aren't you feeding? Of course. On what, a block of wood? I'm with Lauren. And? Only Lauren. Are you 
you crazy? I am monogamous. No, you're a succubus. You can't sustain yourself on one human alone. You need to feed. No, I can't. I can't. Let's talk about that scene in episode 304, Fade to Black. Actually, let's talk about a couple of things in season three in regards to, to Dyson getting his love back. Because he does make the decision not to tell Bo that he's gotten his love back. And he doesn't tell her for over half the season. He, he Actually, and it's Kinsey who tells her. And I, I've heard some sort of differing opinions on that. Well, I guess I should say people have different opinions than me in regards to that storyline. Because <laughs> I personally think that was the mature decision, especially after he sees that she and Lauren have gotten together. Because in my mind, I don't know, after she started dating Lauren, how he would have that conversation without sounding like, hey, I've got my love back. I'm giving you an ultimatum. You can stay with Lauren or you can come back to me. I just feel like he, there's no way he could have phrased that that wouldn't make him sound like a jerk. But I know that other people think that he didn't handle that situation very maturely and that he should have told her earlier on and he was keeping information from her. So, so what, what is your perspective on that decision? I actually, I really liked the fact that he chose not to tell her. I mean, I felt like that he had seen all through season two her developing that relationship with Lauren. And I think that, that you're right, that it is kind of the more mature thing to do. And I also think from a, from a writing standpoint, it was a pretty bold choice because normally if you've got something like that that happens, they're going to have the person who gets their love back almost come back with a, okay, I sacrificed everything to save you and now you should be grateful and come back to me so that we can have the relationship that was interrupted by my completely negated sacrifice. I, I like that they did that. I like that to me it it validates, it almost validates Lauren and Bo's relationship that even the man who has the most to lose acknowledges that he shouldn't mess with that relationship. And I think, too, it makes Dyson more sympathetic to do it this way. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know that I would have been able to support his efforts to win back Bo had he been, you know, rushing in with, you know, I got my love back, but <laughs> by being the bigger person and sort of, you know, standing aside and acknowledging that she's moved on, I'm more able to see Dyson's perspective and have greater sympathy towards Dyson's situation. So he decides not to tell Bo that he has his love back. And I think that was, personally, I think that was a more mature decision. I know people disagree, and that's fine. But then we get to 304, and this scene where he and Bo have sex in the police station. And I was thinking about this the other day, and it occurred to me, I feel like that scene, that moment, is Dyson's equivalent of the quote-unquote spy bang that Lauren has with Bo in season one. Because in both situations, I think both Dyson and Lauren were coming into that encounter with some genuine emotion, some genuine love, affection, etc. But they were hiding essential information from Bo in the process. So I do have to call Dyson out on that decision as much as he maybe thought that it could be no feelings attached. I'm doing this to help you. I don't think that was the best decision that he could have made knowing that he loved her and she didn't know that and thought that she was having, he was a good option for her because he couldn't love her in that moment when she was trying to be faithful to Lauren. That would, that's what made him sort of the best option at that moment. Yeah, it it makes it a little, it, it's a little bit of a of an uncomfortable aspect to that scene because of the fact that we as the audience know that he loves her and that this means a lot more to her, but that he's hiding that from her. And it, it kind of goes back to what we were discussing earlier about the whole alpha male tendencies of hiding information that the per- the other person, that the woman should know in order to make her own informed decisions you know would she have chosen to sleep with him if she knew that he was still in love with her when for her she just needed healing because I don't think she would have and I think that's part of why he continued to hide it is because he didn't want to 
I think part of it was he was afraid that if she chose Lauren over him, that she might not be able to maintain a friendship with him, knowing that he was pining after her. I got to say, I was a little disappointed since we're talking about season three. I was disappointed that Dyson really did not have much of a storyline at all in season three. He had a couple of episodes here and there, but he was really lacking a major story arc in season three. I, I hope that they come up. I hope that he has a stronger one in season four, personally. So let's talk a little bit about Chris Holden Reed, because I really like Chris Holden Reed just as a person. He is such a nice man. Chris can also attest to this because we have both interacted with him in person. He's just like the biggest, funniest goofball ever. He is. He's so, so nice. I I think that Chris Holden Reed brings a certain amount of, of warmth and charm to that character that really saves that character from being someone that's hard to like because there's a lot of like we've talked about there's a lot of things that that he does that could be taken in one direction or the other it can be read as you know a a good motive or a bad motive and I think just the fact that the actor is able to give this sense of this guy with this really big heart that's a really he really does care about people there has these great relationships with all of the other characters and not just with Bo really helps to make the show feel more well-rounded. Well, thank you so much, Judith, for being on the show and, and, and offering your comments about, about Dyson. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, letting me chat with you guys. Sally sent in a voice message about Dyson. So let's hear what Sally has to say. Hey, Stephanie and Annie, it's Sally. So about Dyson, I watched Lost Girl in a binge watch over the course of about six weeks. Maybe not really a binge, but I realized when I was speeding through all those episodes that I was viewing his character through the lens of being a competitor for Bo's affection. And after I finished watching the series and I was caught up to season three, when I wasn't worried about spoilers anymore, I watched some promo videos and followed some of the Lost Girl people on Twitter, including Chris Holden Reed. And I learned that as an actor, he's really an engaging person and he's a great comedic actor. I thought he was great during the body switching episode when he switched places with Kenzie and also during Confagion when he was playing a teenager. So about his character, I think he's nothing if not consistent. He's really loyal. He's been loyal over the thousand years or more. He's also pretty consistently sure that he knows what's best for everyone else. And I think that that can either be a virtue or a fault. We've seen both of that over the seasons with Dyson. But I really like his character, love the actor, and I'm looking forward to season four and seeing what they have in store for Dyson's storyline. Thanks. Thank you, Sally, for sending us those thoughts. We are still looking for guest contributors for our upcoming episodes about Hale and Vex in the Morrigan. If you're interested in being a guest contributor, there will be more information in the show notes of this episode, episode 15, over at drinksatthedoll.com. But even if you're not interested in being a contributor, we would love to hear your thoughts. You can do like Sally did and send us a voice message by clicking on the send a voice message link at the bottom of the show notes, or you can call and leave a voicemail at 972-514-7223. We always love when we can include listeners' voices on the show. But you can also send us an email at feedback at drinksatthedoll.com. You can follow us on Twitter or on Facebook at Drinks at the Doll. And you can also follow us on Tumblr at drinksatthedoll.tumblr.com. Instead of closing with our theme song this week like we usually do, I'm going to leave you with a song by Megan Tonjes, who is a singer-songwriter who is based on YouTube, who I really enjoy. She was nice enough to give me permission to play a bit of one of her newest songs at the end of this episode. It's supposed to be or I should say, I think it's going to be on her next album that she said she's planning to release here in the next few months or so. So I hope you enjoy Megan. I will put a link to her YouTube channel in the show notes. Go check her out. She's very talented. Thank you for joining us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers.
I'll wait by the way of the water My love's gonna tear it down His heart is six feet under My feet on the cold hard ground This winter is colder than any I've known and it burns my skin The night says when battle is ready Now I'm gonna let it in I walk in a field, I remember the things that I said and done I know that you have your question, no time now, we have to run I say that I don't want to hurt you, I know that I really do I'll go where the wind may take me, but I'll leave a mark on you the moon I've been howling too